You are listening to the IFH Podcast Network. For more amazing filmmaking and screenwriting podcasts, just go to ifhpodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to the Indie Film Hustle Podcast, episode number 713. The first draft of anything is crap, but it's infinitely better than no draft. Ben Arment. Broadcasting from the back alley in Hollywood, it's the Indie Film Hustle Podcast, where we show you how to survive and thrive as an indie filmmaker in the jungles of the film biz. And here's your host, Alex Ferrari. Welcome, welcome to another episode of the Indie Film Hustle Podcast. I am your humble host, Alex Ferrari. Today's show is sponsored by Rise of the Film Entrepreneur, how to turn your independent film into a profitable business. It's harder today than ever before for independent filmmakers to make money with their films. From predatory film distributors ripping them off to huckster film aggregators who prey upon them, the odds are stacked against the indie filmmaker. The old distribution model of making money with your film is broken and there needs to be a change. The future of independent filmmaking is the entrepreneurial filmmaker or the film entrepreneur. In Rise of the Film Entrepreneur, I break down how to actually make money with your film projects and show you how to turn your indie film into a profitable business. With case studies examining successes and failures, this book shows you the step-by-step method to turn your passion into a profitable career. If you're making a feature film, series, or any other kind of video content, the Film Entrepreneur method will set you up for success. The book is available in paperback, ebook, and of course, audiobook. If you want to order it, just head over to www.filmbizbook.com. That's filmbizbook.com. Now, guys, it's hard to deny the impact that Blake Schneider's Save the Cat book series on Hollywood screenwriting. Rarely does a book change the way screenwriters approach story and structure. Well, today's guest is one of Blake Schneider's students. His name is Salva Rubio. And he wrote the book, Save the Cat Goes to the Indies, the screenwriter's guide to 50 films from the masters. And in this episode, me and Salva go deep into independent film, independent voices. And we also break down multiple genres from horror to mystery to the superhero story in the independent film, which is not what you think it is. And so much more. So this is a really great conversation. I can't wait to share it with you guys. So without any further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Salva Rubio. I'd like to welcome to the show Salva Rubio. How are you doing, Salva? Hi. Hi, uh, Alex. And hi to all your uh, viewers and listeners. Uh, we're doing fine here in Barcelona. Very cool. And that's why I always love technology. I mean, we're literally across the world from each other and uh, we're still able to do this. It's still, I, I don't take it for granted. I'm old enough to know when this was not a thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, you, you know, there's, a, there's an apocalypse going on outside. So let's just uh, hope that there is not a solar storm or something like that that would wipe everything. But 2020 has been crazy so far. So why not? Alien invasion and it, zombies, alien not? I'd say zombies, alien invasion, mole people. Mole people haven't risen up from the bottom yet, from the the, the core of the of the <laughs> of the planet to take over. Atlantis hasn't risen. I mean, there's there's a few things that are yet to be done, but we still have two months. <laughs> well, we have a couple of months, and 2020 so far has been exciting. But maybe it needs to go with a bang. But the real yeah. Bang, you know, oh no just... no 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 excitement. <laughs> oh please, we've had enough excitement this year to last us a decade, if not two. Um, but we're here to talk about. Uh, 
about Save the Cat and your book Save the Cat goes uh, goes indie. And I wanted to bring you on the show because we've had we've had people on the show before to talk about Blake's Blake's world uh, with Save the Cat, his groundbreaking work. But I wanted to, I wanted to bring you on because of the indie aspect of it, because a lot of my listeners are indie filmmakers. So before we get going on that, how did you get involved with Save the Cat? Sure. Well, I mean, it all starts like in 2004 or so. I finished my my um, university. Uh, degree with here is licenciatura and then I decided that I wanted to well to, to work in film somehow and I found a job in um, a production company which also has a, well it was a half production also distribution also exhibition it was like the most important indie uh, production company distribution company and so on in Spain so I started reading scripts uh, just like so many people. Uh, well, the lucky thing about my job is that I could read a lot of uh, uh, big names script, scripts. I mean, it wasn't just like um, spec scripts, you know, like people trying to get into the industry. We had a share of that. But all of a sudden, I had a, a David Cronenberg screenplay or maybe a Michael Haneke screenplay or maybe, you know, Danny Boyle screenplay, because they were, in Europe is very common to, to show you screenplay around before the film is done so that you can start getting money, you know, uh, mm-hmm. because you, uh, as, as a foreign production company, you can get uh, European money, but it has to be done in advance. And it was a funny thing because I was reading these screenplays and wondering how the resulting film would would be. But then a couple of years later, I would see that film on the cinemas, in the theaters, and I would be, you know, like, wow, from that screenplay to that movie, there's such a big um, distance, but in visual terms, the screenplay was there. And that got me thinking, you know, like, wow, so the screenplay can be a classic thing and then the film can be a uh, avant-garde thing and yeah, i think it was in 2000 maybe uh, uh, seven because i have a very bad memory but blake snyder came to spain actually he had a gig in in uh, london i think and he went through barcelona and i was lucky, lucky enough to to be there with him to meet him and to take his seminar that changed my whole uh, view because I realized that there was, uh, I was an aspiring writer and I realized there was a method, there was a guideline, there was uh, something that could help me in my uh, learning. Very cool. And, and then can you go over a little bit about what Save the Cat is for people who are not familiar with Save the Cat? Yeah, sure. Uh, Save the Cat is one of the most, uh, one of the best selling screenwriting books in history. I couldn't say if it's the best-selling one or not, but it's one of the most important. And it came and took the world by surprise in the mid-2000s because uh, there were very good, nice, established books. Uh, they were all a bit serious, a bit academic. And Blake, he was a comedy writer. And he did quite a funny book about screenplay and screenwriting structure full of uh, interesting, funny, uh, even childish terms. But the result was that it was a very easy-to-follow method based on 12 steps, the, the uh, Blake Snyder beat sheet. 
And uh, well, it became a bestseller because for students and also for executives, it became like a pattern of how a film should feel. And and can you go over those those twelve beats, the Blake's beats, and and kind of talk about them a little bit? Yeah, well, I, I can try by memory, but uh, first of all, you have the opening image. The opening image is the uh, the view of the world before the adventure happens. You know, there's a war with a systemic problem. We still don't know how to fix it, but it's there somewhere. Then we have the setup, which is the moment in which we come to meet our uh, main character. It's usually two or three scenes uh, watching him or her in his everyday life just to get to know him or her. At this point, there's another bit called the theme stated in which uh, another character, secondary character, maybe a mentor, tells uh, the main character, the protagonist, the theme. So you should learn this. Then we have the catalyst, which is like the inciting incident. You know, halfway through the first act, something happens that pushes the story forward. And then we have something called the debate, which is a few scenes still in the first act in which the main character tries to avoid that adventure and thinks of ways to to avoid that. But obviously that's not going to happen. He has to go on this story. So we have the play called The Break into Act 2, which is uh, that first twist. And we enter Act 2, where we have a very long uh, act, as everyone who's trying to write the screenplay knows, but Blake called the first part of this uh, second act, he called it the fun and games. And that is a, new, a very important concept because the fun and games uh, section is where uh, the... <laughs> we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. The writer has fun and games, not, not <laughs> the protagonist. If you're right. telling a horror story... Protagonist is not going to have any fun. But uh, this is the, where the poster moments are, where the trailer moments are. This is where you show what the people came to see. Is what Blake called the promise of the premise. Then we have the myth uh, point, which is a very important bit, like a kind of a temple, holds the picture together. And we have this victory uh, in which the character feels, oh, so this adventure is easier than I thought, I don't have to change at all. But then we have the false defeat, in which the bodies, the uh, evil characters, take notice of the hero and start attacking him or her. So we enter the second part of Act 2, and we are in what Blake called uh, Bad Guys Closing, as as the name uh, is self-explaining, as the name says, is where the um, main character has to become a warrior. He has to become someone to defend, depending on which hand, gender. We can be in a horror film and he has to fight the monster. Or he can be in a film about uh, grieving and he has to confront his feelings. Then come three so important bits to finish the second part of the second act. Blake used to call them, they are called um, All is Lost is like this belly of the whale moment that uh, writers know very well. But then he had something called the dark night of the soul, which is a time for sadness, a time for regret, because the main character couldn't change or, or didn't know how to change. 
And then we have what Blake called a break into act three, which is a moment of illumination, a moment of precision. The main character wants to change, but still doesn't know how to change. So we have the act three, and in the act three, uh, here's something cool. In his third book, Blake devised five bits more, <laughs> which I can say, so they're not actually, but we can say they're actually 17. So in act three, we have the preparation where people, uh, main characters and heroes prepare for the duel. Then the duel starts. Then at the middle of the duel, there's going to be a reversal, something that I like to call the it's a trap moment. And then we have uh, the uh, duel per se, antagonists and protagonists, they fight each other. And the protagonist has some sort of final illumination, like Luke Skywalker hearing Obi-Wan say, use the force. And then, uh, well, usually the bad guy is uh, defeated. And then we have the final image in which we use as a mirror. We have the opening image and the closing image, and those should be different. We should see that something has changed in that universe. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> that was amazing, Salva. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. That was that off the top of your head. I don't know what you're talking about. You don't have good memory. <laughs> well, I'm a teacher also, so I guess it, it's kind of in my head. But I wasn't sure if I could pull it off, but boy, it happened. It's yeah. hard. It's hardwired. It's hardwired in. Um, now, you've seen a lot of, I'm assuming from, from writing your book, you did a tremendous amount of research watching a ton of independent films. What is the biggest mistake you see in independent film? Mm. That's an interesting question. I mean, independent film, as you know, is, is a universe, a different universe per se. And, okay, my biggest insight is this. People usually say that there are two kinds of screenplays. First, the uh, literary screenplay, so to speak, and then the technical screenplay. Some mm. One is more like, uh, you know, for the screenwriter and the other one is uh, for the director. And I don't believe that. I think you need a sales screenplay and a shooting script. Right. And those are different because many people try to uh, write the film of their dreams, but it's sometimes so different, so weird, so um, intense or so unapproachable. Unmarketable. <laughs> Unmarketable, yeah, that's the word. So investors and other kind of people who must like it, they they become scared. So I would say uh, give us a good uh, screenplay, clear, that I can visualize, that feels classic, that doesn't feel like too innovative, that doesn't feel like too uh, strange or weird. And then at some point, during the development process, speaking with people with the money in your pocket, then you can realize your vision. Okay. Now, can we go over? I'm going to go over a couple of the genres that you uh, that you kind of spoke about in your book, which I thought I would love the names of these. So uh, that and how Save a Cat approaches these specific uh, genres. So, Monster in the House. Yeah. Well, let me start by saying that the genres are really useful. I mean. These are a, a, an invention, Blake in, sort of invented them, is what we could call universal storylines, and every story fits one of them. So uh, there's uh, like a kind of short talk 
to understand each other. I mean, normal genres are like Westerns, which are movies with cowboys usually, or horror movies, movies with a monster or so. But uh, sometimes you have a Western, and there's a guy with a hat, but it can be a horror story. Mm-hmm. It can be a comedy. It can be, you know, it's a problem because traditional genres don't tell you the story. They just speak about the aesthetics. Mm-hmm. And that is a problem when you need someone to picture in their mind your screenplay. So the Blake Snyder genres, they tell the story. So Monster in the House, for example, is usually horror. Not always horror, but it's usually horror. And what is cool about the genres is that Blake realized that for these genres to work, you need a few elements. And if those elements are not there, well, it's going to feel incomplete, you know? So, for example, Monster in the House, as the name says, uh, you have a monster with a supernatural creature. You need a house. You need people uh, locked inside a place. You need uh, maybe a mansion, maybe a hospital, or maybe a, a country like um, in 20 days later. Yeah, 28 day, yeah, 20, yeah, 28 days later, yeah. London. Yeah, 28 right. days later, yeah. So uh, then you need a couple of things more. Like, for example, you need a scene. Uh, people need to deserve what, they, what is happening to them. And then you see you have enough elements for a pitch. You can refer to horror as a well-known genre that can help people understand your film. But still you can... Um, you can throw in the elements that are going to make that story original. Like, I don't know, you're writing a um, slasher film. Well, we know they are all the same, but you can say, so this is a slasher with this new monster I've invented, or in this new setting that no one one has uh, ever done. And I think it's a way to focus really uh, soon in those original points your your script needs to have. Yeah, so kind of like Alien was obviously a a monster in the house, but it was the first time that anyone had done it in a spaceship before. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Now, um, the Golden Fleece. How does uh, what is that genre? Well, the Golden Fleece are basically road movies. Uh, They basically road movies, and Golden Fleece is an element in Greek mythology. The Golden Fleece was. uh, uh, something like a lamb. Uh, I'm yeah. not sure if it was uh, a lamb. It was a lamb, a lamb like thing. Yeah, skin, lamb skin, <laughs> or yeah. skin. Yeah, lamb skin. It was magical and it could turn anyone into a powerful person. But uh, it was guarded by a dragon in a very distant part of the Mediterranean, and you had to physically go there. So uh, these are the most basic stories, like in Joseph Campbell's uh, Hero's Journey. <laughs> in which a hero has to go somewhere and get something to be happier, to be healthier for his um, for his community. But this can be, uh, for example, this great film by David Lynch, this uh, straight story. Mm-hmm. You know, it was about an old man going in a tractor yeah. uh, across America. But that's it. It's a road movie, after all. So... Um, we also need a few elements. We need a road, like for example, in um, in the Wizard of Oz, the road is, well, the Yellow Brick Road. But in this film I just mentioned, 
We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. That is or in Little Miss Sunshine is the way from Albuquerque to uh, Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. You need a team. The team is the people that are going with you or that uh, you are going to find in, in the way. For example, in Little Miss Sunshine is the family, but it's important to see that the family of Little Miss Sunshine and the companions of Dorothy in Wizard of Oz, they're kind of similar. One of them is the heart, other one is the brain, other is the will, and so on. And uh, uh, the funny thing about this uh, genre is that you need what Blake called a road apple at the end. You need some sort of uh, disillusionment or a deception at the end. Every character that arrives to the end of that physical journey will find bad news. Uh, we'll find that that uh, which they were looking for, like, for example, the Wizard of Oz, I want to go home, but you realize that the Wizard of Oz is a fraud, it's a fake. And, well, you cannot go home using his power. You need to go home by your own means. And that's what this this story is about. Now, Dude with a Problem is another cool one. Yeah. Well, Dude with a Problem uh, is basically thrillers, and uh, action films. You will have a problem, as you can see, all of these have like a um, mythological uh, origin. In fact, in the safety cat blog, we have been publishing a few articles about how these genres have their origin in, in mythological tales. And in um, you with a problem, it could be the Hercules story. Mm-hmm. He was a normal guy. He didn't think he was special, but all of a sudden, he was tested by the gods. So the other with a problem are those stories, like, for example, Die Hard, Joe yeah. McLean, and Hercules. They're the same guy. They are ordinary guys versus extraordinary odds. And, well, they need to find their own strength and their own uh, power. They need to believe in themselves to uh, to, to um defeat the gods themselves. So, well, that's a really uh, intense uh, genre. So, it's, it's a genre like that, a lot of the examples you just gave are very big movies, uh, big big movies. Okay. So, in the indie world, are there examples? Because Dude with a Problem, like Die Hard for Indies is, is, is a little rough. Though it can be done, I guess, if you're like in a school somewhere and, and, and the school is taken over by terrorists and, and you're the kid. So I'm just writing a story right now. And you're you're the kid as John McClane. It's basically Home Alone. Uh, but, but on an indie budget, are there any examples? Examples of, of like specifically like due to the problem um, or the Golden Fleece or Mo- well Monster in the House obviously most horror films are monster sure. uh, low budget but like low budget more indie stuff yeah sure in 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 the book in Save the Cat goes to the indies there's uh, fifty films that we uh, go uh, we analyze and there's ten genres five films for each genre and all of them are independent. Uh, like, for example, let me just tell you the five we have in Monster in the House. We have uh, 28 Days Later. We have The Lives of Others, which won the Academy Award for Best Foreign Film. Mm-hmm. We have the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah. We mm-hmm. have the, yeah, and the Blair Witch Project. Of course. Which was so, so cheap, you know, a couple of cameras and 
And then we have funny games, which again is only one location. And uh, Golden Fleece, we have uh, Little Miss Sunshine. We have Old Brother, uh, Reservoir Dogs, The Straight Story, which I just mentioned, and The Full Monty. And people may see Full Monty, that's not a, a, a road film. But in this category, you also have the road to perfection films in which people get better doing something, you know? So no, so like so another genre that uh, that I saw in the book was the superhero genre. Now a lot of people think when they think superhero, they think Marvel, they think DC, they think Superman or Spider Man or X Men or one of these big budget things. How can you apply the superhero genre in the indie world? Well, the funny thing is that superheroes existed before the caped superheroes. You know, uh, a superhero in, in mythical terms. It was a different person with special abilities. Uh, it could be physical abilities, like, for example, Achilles. He was invulnerable, you know. No one could, uh, bullets or arrows couldn't hurt him. That's a superhero in my book, you know. Mm -hmm. And he had his own kryptonite, which was the Achilles heel. So these kind of characters have been around um, always. And in our can be normal people, so to speak, their powers may not be evident. Their powers may not be like uh, flying or having x-rays in their eyes, but charisma can be a superpower, like any politician can tell you, <laughs> or the ability to inspire others. And in our list, we have, for example, Ivan Brokovich. Mm -hmm. As you remember, it was an indie, and it was a film by Stephen Soderbergh. And it was a woman that, uh, well, she uh, defeated a big company out of her willpower and out of her love for other people. That is also a superhero. The others we have is uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox. You know, mm -hmm. how you remember how he became the leader of his pack, <laughs> literally. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We also have uh, Brazil, I, Terry Gilliam, and uh, also The Elephant Man. Because the superhero genre, my favorite thing about it is that uh, people with, uh, you know, underdogs and people which are ignored by society, they are really powerful because they know how to survive in very harsh environments. Like the normal world for you and me is not really dangerous, but for many people with disabilities, for example, the normal world is a challenge. That's why, that's why they are so brave and so admirable. That's why we have the Elephant Man and we have a proper comic book superhero in this list, which also. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. So what's an indie? I'm sure you remember it. We the may crow. be close in age. It was the crow. Sure. Yeah. And the crow was, uh, was an, indie, an indie production. Uh, yeah, and uh, I'm going to be having the director of of that uh, that film on the show very very soon, Alex Proyas. Yeah, he's I'm super excited uh, to have him on the on the Indie Film Hustle podcast because uh, I love The Crow and I thought The Crow was it's a masterpiece. I mean, obviously it was tragic what happened with Brandon Lee and this and and all of that, but the the movie itself is it's almost an anti superhero film. Yeah, it, yeah, I mean. Go ahead. 
the comic book was great. I mean, if, if you can read it, it's great. But also, the people can, that are hearing you, they won't realize. But the people that are, are watching this, they will realize I'm a metalhead. <laughs> <laughs> so the Crow, man, that was oh. the metalhead film of the 90s. Oh, for yeah. Sure. Oh, yeah, that soundtrack. Stone <laughs> Temple Pilots, Nine Inch Nails. Oh, it's oh, good. Pantera. Yeah. Pantera, good stuff. Good stuff. I think Smashing Pumpkins was on there as well. I think there was a song by Smashing oh, Pumpkins. Yeah. It was amazing. It was a great, great soundtrack. It was just at the same time I was in college. So I was, I was watching that movie and listening to that soundtrack constantly in the the 90s um but yeah and then like thinking about superhero as well like someone like uh sherlock holmes he has a superhero power which is his intellect so a lot of times the superhero genre even in the indie world can be someone who's just smarter than everybody else or has this like he's excellent at a specific thing that nobody else is They, they are high achievers or are their abilities in a one area is so far beyond everybody else that that's considered a superhero, correct? Correct. Also because most superheroes at some point are rejected by society. I mean, the lesson in the classic superhero, and I'm talking about myth especially, the lesson is that many of them will be rejected because uh, they are too powerful or because people are envious of their power or because Uh, They inspire people, so they are dangerous. I mean, like, for example, a film like Malcolm X or Gandhi or films about Che Guevara, those are films about political leaders, but they can be told as a superhero story because they have that power, which is inspiring people and and leading them to freedom. And that is uh, dangerous for the bad guys. Or the establishment, if it, if it, if, well, it, the if if it goes against the establishment, that's a great. I never thought about Gandhi uh, and Michael Max uh, as as superheroes. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. But I guess that is a broad definition of what a superhero is, which is anybody who has an ability that nobody else has. Um, and makes them special, hence superhero, yeah. superhero. Yeah. Uh, another genre I loved, uh, to, uh, and I'd love to hear your take on it, is when the fool triumphs, uh, which is yeah. a great indie. Um, it could be a great indie uh, genre. Yeah, it's great indie material. I mean, the fool triumphant is another story that has its roots in the mythical past. It's uh, it's good material, especially for comedy, because the fall triumphant is basically the the story of the uh, the village fool. I think that's the, also the name in English, and it's about the character that underdog, which everyone just ignores because okay, he is silly or he doesn't see the world as the rest of the people, or well, uh, I mean, he just looks or feels like a fool. But uh, I love this genre because, you know, most genres start with a, or most stories start with a character which needs to, to change. They need a, a transformation. So some of them start being like a bit, let's say, wrong or bad, a bit stupid, a bit evil, whatever. They have a flaw and they need to overcome that flaw. But fools in films, fools are mostly well-meant and they are mostly... Uh, good people um, so they cannot just have a normal arc like other characters that could imply for them to become worse 
So uh, in this uh, in this genre, the kind of um, change we're aiming for is adaptation. They need to adapt to that world without losing their inner light, you know, without losing that which makes them uh, nice and special. So like Forrest Gump is a good example of of that. Like he, he Forrest Gump yeah. doesn't change, but he adapts from when he's a boy all the way to the end being a multimillionaire <laughs> ex-Vietnam yeah. vet, Medal of Honor winner, and all the other amazing things that happens to that character. But he does adapt to the world, but he never changes. He he doesn't get harsher. He doesn't change um, his inner light. Can you give us a couple yeah. of examples of indies uh, in that genre? Sure. I, I need to say also that the book is called Safety Cat Goes to the Indies, and it also includes European films, which are technically indies, and auteur films in general. So that's why in this category we have, for example, the King's Speech, mm-hmm. which was a was a it was a Europe was a made it was a European no it wasn't a European movie was it yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. it was British, right? I think. yeah but it was it, it, independent is a loose term with that because it won the Oscar and it, it looked fantastic. <laughs> uh, do you mean that it won? Yeah, it won an Oscar, but I think production wise, I mean, we were very careful. Uh, I, I don't remember the details, uh, but I think we were very careful to select films that would fit independently. Okay. Otherwise, well, considering it's not a studio project to say the least, and it's definitely an indie story to say the least, because that's not something a studio would pick up. They might pick it up for distribution after it's made, and I think that's what happened with King's Speech. Do you have some other examples? Yes, sure. For example, uh, Life is Beautiful, which also won an Academy Award. Sure. It's, also, it's an Italian film. Mm-hmm. And also there was a film that made huge waves in, in the past, but it's it's been like sort of forgotten, but it's a great film. It's called The Artist. Oh yeah, the you one that the the one that won the Oscar. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they all won the Oscar. Uh yeah, the artist was the, that black and white film about uh sound film and, and silent film and how a, a character had to adapt. And uh, we have a couple more. We have Doogie Nights, which is mm-hmm. this uh, well, the fool in the in the porn industry in the seventies right. by Paul Thomas Anderson. It was a terrific film, and uh, we have uh, a special category for our last film, which is the Dark Fool. It's people which are playing fool, but they want to uh, uh, to take advantage of others, and that is Match Point. Oh yeah, yeah, and that's yeah, that's uh, the dark fool is interesting a concept as well. There's so many different, and and in the book you go through all these different movie examples, which are great. So you really can kind of connect the genre with actual films that you can kind of start applying to in your scripts. Which brings me to my next question: When a screenwriter is working on a screenplay, specifically aiming it at an independent film market, should they be thinking about budget? Should they be thinking about how it's going to get produced or should they just kind of go wild? I think if it's, if it's your first film, you should have the budget into consideration, obviously, because they will trust you if you can uh, make a cheap film and it works and it looks great. It says that you're a good general in this uh, fight, in this battle. It says that with very f- a few elements, you can make a worthy thing. You know, I think one of the 
a very good film in this regard. Just let me check because sometimes I forget the names. But I'm sure uh, your uh, listeners remember Pi. Yeah. The first film of Darren Aronofsky, which was grainy and dark, and it was so cheap, but that made it so special. There's no film alike. So I think if you aim for what can I do with a little money, how can I make this look special? Not maybe great, because some people put all their money in trying to make the film look professional, but that same make it look special. Make it look different as a director. And show your identity and show us uh, what you can do with what you have. But also I think that takes a level of 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 not only bravery, but also of someone who's extremely comfortable on their own skin. Because I know as when I was coming up, you try to emulate other directors, you try to emulate other storytellers, or other screenwriters, because you're afraid of your own voice. You maybe haven't found it yet. You haven't developed it yet. And you're afraid to put yourself out there completely wholly. But these examples of you that you've talked about, many of those screenwriters and directors, like Pi is a fantastic example he was a young director and just came out and did exactly what he wanted in a very, like there's still no film look that looks like Pi. Pi was this grainy black and white 16 millimeter high kinetic energy, wonderful story, myth, mysticism in it. It was an amazing introductory um, film. Uh, and, mm-hmm. but it's, you could just see the bravery. In it, I mean, Reservoir Dogs obviously is a great example of that as well. I mean, look at Tarantino yeah. and and his writing and how he shot it and what he did. Um, it, it's it's remarkable, but I think you you do need to have a sense of comfortability as an artist, and I think that goes for any artist, right? In any genre, and any yeah. any 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 uh, craft, whether it's musician, whether it's art, uh, painting, writing. Yeah, I mean. Sometimes there's a temptation to say, well, maybe if I don't do what I like and I do what they like, maybe I can have a shot at at it. But, you know, I think life is very short and sometimes you don't get many chances. So I would be happier with with shooting the film I like and I can be proud of and I can show my family and I can say to my friends, this is what, this is a story I've been meaning to tell for all this time. And if that is the last thing, uh, the last film I, I shoot, okay, so be it. But I, I'm proud, you know. Uh, but if I just go with what they want, I am going to be restless. Um, and I'm going to be, you know, sort of unhappy maybe. So some people don't have the, the choice and some people do good, you know. They, they shoot something they are hire to shoot and then they go on to make their own stuff and that is great also but if i had to choose i would always choose i'll do what i want and then i'll see what they want exactly um and uh, it's it's a difficult path regardless uh, as a as a screenwriter as a as a director especially in the indie space uh, do you have any advice on getting your screenplay your independent film screenplay produced anything that you can kind of put in there or presentation or whatever, um, anything that you can do as a writer to help you have a better shot of actually getting produced? Well, I, I mean, the world right now, as we, as we were saying, the world is crazy, but it's crazy in a good sense. I, I, 
grew up, I mean, I grew up professionally reading all these screenwriting books from the 70s and the 80s and the 90s, and they all said the same thing. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Uh, write your script in this way, and then you print it, and then there's a three-punch thing, and then you send it with an introduction, and that is out. I mean, that is uh, not valid anymore. So uh, we are writing history. We are finding new ways to do it. So I always say, if you have a, a, a mobile phone in your pocket, shoot the film, shoot the damn film tomorrow, get your friends and do it, and then show it in YouTube or whatever. Because uh, for me right now, the difference is not making it that big film that will put you on the map. It's making a ton of films, short films, episodes, ads, whatever. Get, it to, get into the industry, have friends that will help you with your films, and you will help them with their films. And then this uh, guy knows one guy, and then he puts you in touch. And things happen outside your room and things happen outside home. And you need to meet as many people as you can and help them as much as you can. And I think that the gears start moving and then at some point you have a chance. But if you try to do everything by yourself, well, that's going to be difficult. Very much, very, very much. And trust me, I've done it myself. So it's not, it's not easy. It's not easy to do. Now, what's up? What's up? Uh, what's next for you? What are you working on? Yeah, well, right now, um, uh, I just finished uh, uh, a new draft of an animation film. I'm doing for it's, it's a co-production. It's uh, um, a production company in New York and in Spain. So they are trying to build, you know, this project. Uh, animation young adult thing let's we could say that and also i'm doing a lot of graphic novel stuff uh, which uh, in in the u.s is mostly superheroes and in the uh, comic books and graphic novels but here we have many more genres uh, and if i may say so uh, i just had a graphic novel released in in the u.s by the u.s naval institute and it's a um, concentration camp story. It's a real story about the Spaniards that were in Nazi concentration camps, which is something that not many people know. And it's about the crazy plan some of them, of them have to steal pictures of what, what uh, was happening in the camp and take them out for the world to know. Uh, uh, they did it. It's not really a well-known story, but it's fascinating. So I invite you to read The Photographer of Mauthausen. It's called by the U.S. Naval Institute. And that's the last thing I released in America. Very cool. Now I'm going to ask you a few questions I ask all of my guests. What are three screenplays every screenwriter should read? Oh, my God. You know, the first name pops in my head always is John Cameron. James Cameron. Yeah, he, James. Yeah. James, James Cameron. He writes so well. So I would say anything by James Cameron, like, for example, Aliens, mm-hmm. uh, that would be great. Uh, Little Miss Sunshine, it's uh, he didn't, one he didn't, he didn't do that one. Oh, you, uh, James Cameron didn't do Aliens, but Little Miss Sunshine's another one. Yeah, yeah, that's another yeah. one. <laughs> okay, okay, I was going to say, I don't remember James Cameron, because would, I would actually watch James Cameron's Little Miss Sunshine. That would be amazing. <laughs> it would be a different film. It would probably be called... Uh, 
little big dark knight or something like <laughs> something that, you know? Like, <laughs> and there'll be some sort of 3D animal uh, or creature running around. Yeah. I will watch another one. Yeah. And uh, probably, you know, I've been um, uh, the first Indiana Jones or some films like those because they are straight to the point, funny scenes, quick to read. And okay, yes, they are um, uh, Hollywood scripts, but why not? Anyway, you know, each year we have the, we're lucky because the Academy publishes all the screenplays and there's a few indies in there. So that's also uh, to take into consideration. And just uh, let me say uh, one one more. It's Amour, uh, Love by uh, Michael Haneke mm-hmm. because it will break any expectation. It's a 67-page script that results in a film of 127 minutes. So, you know, people that say, no, it's one page, one minute. Well, not no, always. Not always. So that's not a that's not a script to look at proper formatting. <laughs> you might want to, but it does the job, but it does the job. Yeah, uh, also because, well, yeah. yeah. So um, what advice would you give a screenwriter wanting to break into the business today? Uh, I'd say write a ton of stuff. Uh, I'd say don't write one, two, three screenplays and think you're done and your talent is there. And no, write one every two months or every three months or every four months. But write one, finish another, keep making friends. And somehow if you have 10 screenplays, it's easier to make it than if you have two. And where can people find out more about Save the Cat and your book? Well, there's a blog, savethecat.com. And uh, weekly, there's articles and new beat sheets. So if you're interested, there's uh, a ton of research material there. And my own website is salvarubio.info, just like my name. Uh, well, there's the stuff I've been publishing uh, lately. Very cool. Salva, man, thank you so much for coming on, on the show. It's been, uh, it was a wonderful talking indie Save the Cat. Uh, I'm a fan of Save the Cat. I love, I talk to everybody and I talk to all the different kinds of uh, story systems and, 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 and I just find that they all are going to the same place. We're all trying to tell good stories um, at the end of the day. So I do appreciate you coming on, man, and sharing, uh, sharing your knowledge with us. Thank you so much, Alex, and thanks for everyone for listening. And, you know, don't give up. Keep writing, keep shooting. You'll make it. I want to thank Salva for coming on the show and sharing his knowledge with the tribe today. Thank you so much, Salva. If you want to get links to anything we spoke about in this episode, including links on how to get the book, head over to the show notes at IndieFilmMuscle.com forward slash 713. And if you haven't already, please head over to filmmakingpodcast.com, subscribe, and leave a good review for the show. It really helps us out a lot, guys. Thank you again so much for listening, guys. As always, keep that hustle going. Keep that dream alive. Stay safe out there, and I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Indie Film Hustle Podcast at IndieFilmHustle.com. That's I-N-D-I-E-F-I-L-M-H-U-S-T-L-E.com.